is that last week um, I asked our congregation to submit questions that they had to the Lord. And I spent all week with your questions. And uh, what do I want to say? I think I want to say that I'm proud of you for your honesty and vulnerability. Those questions have weighed heavily on my heart as I've seeked and knocked on your and my behalf before the Lord. They will shape my prayers for months to come. They're already shaping how I'm thinking about future sermon series and what I think we should talk about as a, conver- uh, as a congregation. Grief is one of those things that we'll need to talk about. A lot of pain in those questions, but a lot of faith. And I'm so glad that you guys risked enough to ask and seek and knock in his direction. I'm proud to be your pastor. So today, before we turn to the gospel of Mark and take our next step on our discipleship pathway, I'm just going to create a moment of silence. It's it's an opportunity for you to ask the Lord to gather up your heart and your scattered senses before we hear from him. Let's take a let's take a beat. And gracious heavenly Father, uh, we seek your face this morning. And we are like uh, thirsty animals at a dry brook, or that's how our souls feel sometimes, and we're thirsty for you and for a reminder of your love and your presence. We're hungry for hope and healing, for relationship and intimacy with you. We seek after you, Lord, Uh, but we know that in your word you are actively seeking us that you initiate with us and you come to us this morning and one of the ways that you remind us of your presence, one of the ways that you, you attempt to satisfy the hungers of our hearts is through your word. And so we ask to be uh, receptive to it. Hearts that would open up like a flower to receive uh, your light, your truth. And so lead us, Lord. Help us to hear you as you seek after us this morning. We give you praise and thanks in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So we're taking a journey with Jesus. And we're being guided by six central commands, which are very important to us as a congregation. And the first was, come and see. The second was ask, seek, and knock. And the next is turn and trust. I'm going to turn to the Gospel of Mark. I'm going to read verses 14 and 15 this morning. 
This is the word of the Lord. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When you're on the road with Jesus, you're only going to go so far before he brings you to a moment of decision and where he asks you to change direction. Today's scripture reading takes us back to that curtain opening moment in Jesus' life when he comes into Galilee and announces the good news and says, the time is fulfilled. Time is up. The time is now. The kingdom of heaven is right there. Repent and believe in the gospel. I want you to note the urgency of the message. The time is fulfilled. The announcement comes after a long time of waiting for God's people. Waiting for God to come through on ancient promises of a coming deliverer who would bring forgiveness for Israel's sins and deliverance for them out of their bondage. And so when Jesus says the time is fulfilled, we're to hear a divine alarm clock going off for Israel and for the whole world, for you and for me. What's the annoying sound on your phone that wakes you up? It'd be like that. The time is now. The promises are being fulfilled in me. It creates a moment of crisis, a decision point for Israel, a fork in the road. It's a declaration and a moment of decision that has to do with the proclamation of the gospel of God. Gospel. That's a good religious word. What do you think of when you think of the word gospel? I think we think of the word gospel in a religious context. Thinking about human souls and their ultimate destination. This wasn't a religious word, however, to its original hearers. It was a political word, and it's important for us to know that. It wasn't about souls getting saved. A gospel was it about, it was the declaration of the arrival of a new king. Gospel was royal good news. Typically about the arrival or birth or victory of some monarch. For example, archaeologists have found an ancient Roman inscription dating from the time of Jesus in Paul, which simply says, quote, the beginning of the gospel of Caesar Augustus. And it goes on to tell the story of Caesar's birth and his coronation. 
So the gospel was some history-shaping event about a king. It could be about his coronation, the ascension of a great king to the throne. It could be the news of some great victory won by a king or general on behalf of the people. And so when a great battle was won in the ancient world, like when the, when the Greeks won the great battle of Marathon, they would send out heralds. We might call them evangelists, runners who brought the news to the cities and all the people. And these evangelists would proclaim the good news and they would say, the king has fought for you, has won the battle, and your enemies have been defeated. You're no longer slaves. You're free. The war's over. The gospel of Jesus Christ. A war has been won. That's how new kings come into power. Battles must be fought. If there's a new monarch in town, something big has taken place. In other words, kings didn't come to power through a a peaceful transfer of power. This wasn't a democracy. They weren't voted in. You got in by conquering the current king. And so there's a new king. The old king's about to be conquered. And so when Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand, he's saying victory is on the way. And certainly some of them would have thought of political deliverance. But those who had listened to the Old Testament prophets would have known better. That they, the true pharaohs, And kings, well, that's Satan, sin and death. And the real bondage they were in had to do with the human heart. Royal good news. The gospel is about regime change. About Jesus coming and kicking Satan's booty off the throne... And bringing in a new reign, a new kingdom of peace. And how are the people to respond to this royal good news and this declaration of divine regime change? They're called to repent and believe the gospel. Repent, it's another good religious word. What do you think of? When you think of repentance. I think most of us. When we think of repentance. We think about feeling sorry for things that we've done. Feeling sorrow or sadness for sin. And let me preempt everything I'm about to say. By saying it's good to feel bad. About what you've done that's bad. But let's just say that's a given. We should feel sorrow for the the love that we haven't rendered to God or to neighbor. That's all right and good. But the thing is, none of the words used in the Old and New Testaments to describe repentance have anything to do with feelings. They have everything to do with action. They're action words. 
And so in Hebrew, the word is shuv, which just means to return, to turn around and go. A great English equivalent would be about face, about face, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, to turn and to go in a different direction. The Greek word used here is metanoia, which actually means to change one's mind or to have a new perspective. And so Martin Luther, after studying the different words for repentance, defined repentance in the scriptures like this. He says that repentance assumes a different mind and perception. It is a recovering of one's senses. To make a transition of mind so that a person is now wise in heavenly things instead of thus far being wise in earthly things. I like that. A coming to one's senses so that one is now wise about heavenly things instead of being wise about earthly things. It is a rethinking of one's life in light of heavenly realities against one's earthly circumstances or concerns. It's what Paul in Romans 12 meant when he said, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Repentance is rethinking one's life in light of the gospel. Not just looking at things and saying the gospel is one valid perspective. It's saying that this is the perspective in which I evaluate the suffering, the pain, the circumstances of my life. The gospel of Jesus Christ is about rethinking your life in light of the king and what he's done. Kingdoms are by definition exclusive. You can't have two of them in the same place. And so the call of repentance is to ultimately rethink our primary allegiances. To throw out old allegiances and loyalties that have proven only to disappoint or to enslave in order to enthrone a new perspective, a new king, Christ himself. Jesus' announcement was of a kingdom of absolute rule and government. And the only way to receive it is by turning away from all of the things that have previously occupied us. And I mean occupy us in two senses. First, just occupying our attention. The things that just normally distract us, waste time, keep us from thinking about deeper things, substantial things. But also occupying us like 
enemies occupy ground, occupying forces, the kinds of Caesars and Pharaohs and false kings and idol that rule your life and pretend to rule in your favor, but really are running your life into the ground. About face. Wake up. Come to your senses. Change your mind. Turn in the direction of this royal good news. Victory is at hand. Make room here in your heart for the coming world change. Or in Jesus' own words, time is up. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That's what I think the original hearers would have heard. What does that mean for us. It means that Jesus wants us to know that the time is up. The time is now. The time is fulfilled. There's a way when Jesus said that that it was un- this was a unique time in history when he came. But there's also a way in which Christ comes into our life at different moments. And he creates these little divine alarm clocks that go off, that give us an opportunity to wake up. He creates moments of decision in our lives, times when he comes to us and by his spirit messes with us and says, wake up, about face. There are these wake up call moments in our lives. And so in listening to Jesus just say, the time is up, I just want to ask you, where have the alarm clocks been going off for you? Have there been signs in your life that the time has come, the time to make a change, that the kingdom of God is at hand? It's a call to wakefulness. And these moments of crisis and decision are moments of invitation and opportunity. When Jesus invites us into repentance, he's not issuing a threat. And for a long time, I think I heard Jesus' words as issuing a threat. I don't know who you think of when you think of repentance, But one of the most vivid memories I have from my time in college is of the street preachers who would come into the the common areas of campus. Uh, These men in suits who would hold up signs that told of God's judgment and would yell at passing students, would talk about the dangers of their fornication and debauchery. And you can imagine how the strategy was received. Not well. These men believed that they were preaching repentance. In their mind, they thought they were telling people to turn to God. 
And I think when most of us think of repentance, the call to repentance, we think of men like this. Hateful, judgmental, angry people who place themselves on a a spiritual pedestal over others who don't believe like they do. And as a result, when we hear the word repentance, we don't hear good news. We hear bad news. And that's a tragedy Because when Jesus said repent, it wasn't repent because the end is nigh or repent because there's bad news ahead. It was repent and believe in the gospel. It was repent because the kingdom of heaven is right in front of you. It's at hand in me. Turn around reconsider in light of who I am and what I've done. I love how Brian Zond puts it. He said, quote, Repent is not the chide of finger-wagging moralism, but an invitation to rethink everything in the light of Jesus' death and resurrection. To rethink this conversation in light of Jesus' death and resurrection. Yes, to think of your sin in light of Jesus' death and resurrection, but to think about this moment of pain in light of Jesus' death and resurrection. This purchase in light of Jesus' death and resurrection. This decision or this moment with my child in light of Jesus' death and resurrection, each of those is, a, is repentance, a changing of one's mind, a turning of one's thoughts to the presence of the kingdom of God at work in your life, its availability to you, its presence to you. Rethink your life from top to bottom in light of my victory and loyal, royal love. There are things enslaving you. There are things that you are doing. Things that you're aligned to that are taking your lunch money. And you know it. And your spouse knows it. And your kids know it. I'm offering you change. Victory. Forgiveness. New ways of living. Godward ways of living. Repent. And do we need to say that this act of rethinking isn't a one-off thing? It can and does begin the Christian journey. That must happen. But it's not some box that we tick and then we're off to better things. Luther actually began his 95 theses by saying, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he willed that the entire life of believers should be one of repentance. From beginning to end. We're all traveling down a road with Jesus and that road is the road of repentance that leads to ever deepening levels of surrender and renewal. 
And the reason why we need to do it again and again every day is because we're really bad at repenting. We're constantly repenting of our repentance. I'm going to change. I've changed. And I'm going to turn around. And now I'm not changed anymore. We repent all the time of our repentance. And we are constantly discovering new layers of unsurrendered self. Of willfulness. Self-centeredness. Self-interest. Of apathy. One of the questions I received most often from y'all was, why have I experienced so little change? Like, there's, God, there's no evidence of your power at work in my life. I want to sit with that question a long time. But one of the, one of the ways I think God would say is like, no, you have changed more than you think. But as you change, your understanding of your need grows and increases more and more. Rich Mullins, one of my favorite writers and musicians, said that when he was a kid, he would walk down the church aisle and be born again, again, every year. And then when he was a a young person in high school, he would rededicate his life to Christ Every year at church camp, every year you walk up there and you put the stone in the thing or write your name on the whatever. In college, he said he did it every six months. And then when he was a young adult, quarterly. By the time he was in his 40s, he said, I would be born again, again, four times a day. That's right. We are in constant need of conversion, of being born again, again. It's one of the reasons we repent week in and week out in our liturgy. And we say in our confession week in and week out that we have not loved God as we ought or our neighbor. And we mention the things that we've done that we shouldn't have done and the things that we've left undone. It's a weekly reminder that failure to love in the Christian life is the norm. And we say we because we need to know we're not alone. In that moment, if we didn't know it, we remind ourselves that we're not gathered together for worship because we're pretty good people. We are needy people, but new people. People marked by grace in spite of ourselves because of the work of Christ. We each and all take part in gathered worship as unworthy people who left on our own deserve God's condemnation, but we are not left on our own. He is with us. Calling us to repent again, again. To be born again, again, again. And it is his presence with us that is 
the greatest corrective of this passage and the most profound thing that it illustrates. It's also the thing I want to leave us with. Repentance, friends, isn't something that we do so that we can finally gain access to God. The call to repentance and the impulse that we feel towards it is a sign that God is already at work in our lives seeking us. Because who's the person calling the people to repent? It is God himself sent from heaven in their midst seeking them on his way to die for them so that they would live their messy lives in the context of his love and eternal care who would promise one day to send his Holy Spirit so that he could be even closer to each one of us. And so when we feel the impulse, that sense that God's messing with us, that maybe we should change, that's God's Holy Spirit in us. That's the third person of the Trinity saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That is Christ at work in you and in me. The impulse itself to change, to want to change, is a, that is the initiative that God is taking in your life. Now we have to respond to that initiative. You're the, God's not going to call the therapist for you. God's not going to admit to your spouse that you have a drinking problem. They likely already know. But you're going to be the one who has to admit it. God's not going to be the one who has the hard conversation with that person for you. God's not going to be the one to open up your life in transparency. To say, I'm, str- I'm dying. I'm living two lives. One of them you know and one of them you would never know or never believe. God's not going to get on your knees and plead to Him. He's not going to get more Scripture into your heart and mind. So that you can handle what life brings you. You're going to have to shove. You're going to have to metanoia. God isn't going to do those things to you, but he is going to go with you. And he does promise to complete the work that he started in you. What I'm saying is that you're going down a path. We're all going down, and we all know we need to change. And we just, we feel this level of conviction And we don't feel like we have the strength because we've repented of our repentance so many times. And you're just stuck in this pattern of sin. You don't know how to get out. But the fact that you're even asking the question, that you're feeling discomfort, is a sign that he's already working in you. And we have the confidence to believe that the one who begins a good work in us 
will bring it to completion in the day of Christ. And so we work out our salvation in fear and trembling. Know that it is God who is working in us. What I'm saying is that a power from outside is present. A power that is able to make a new creation person out of you and out of me. People who have no capacity to save themselves. The power is not our power. It's not the power of our deeds or our inner strength or our spiritual disciplines or even of our repentance. It's God's power. And his spirit gives good deeds and inner strength and spiritual discipline. And he even gives us the beginnings of repentance. And we're able to bear fruit precisely because he's working in us. So I don't know your story. Some of you were dragged here for sure. But I'm sure for most of us we're here and around Because God has already been up to something. And that something, that quiver in the liver, (laughs) that discomfort is a sign of his presence, not his absence. Guiding you, leading you, showing you a path that doesn't lead to death, but that leads to life. And he wants you to take the next step on what will be a lifelong journey of repentance. Of rethinking your life from the ground up in light of what's happened to you in Christ. But it is a response to his work and his word and his initiative. One last thing. And it's just the joy that the Father takes in you when you take that step. The joy that God experiences. Think about the joy of the shepherd finding the lost sheep. The joy of a woman finding a lost coin. The joy of of a father running down the road to meet a lost child, quieting his confessing lips with his kisses, covering him with his love. When we take a step towards God in repentance, the heavens erupt in a party of joy, divine joy. The time is up. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Let me pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for your Holy Spirit which is so present with us, so near us, in our hearts, seeking us out, taking the initiative to stir in our hearts good works and faith, repentance, new strength, 
the power to take the next step in surrender, in love, in discipleship. I don't know. If these people are like me, Lord, they've thought of something. Something they're supposed to drop. Something they're supposed to do. Something they're supposed to rethink. I know that that's been the case with me. It's been big and small things. And I pray that as we are reminded and assured of your love, of your presence in our lives and of a new power at work in us, I just pray that we would take the next step. Maybe it's just saying, it's just telling it to somebody. (laughs) Maybe it's just asking for help. Maybe it's making a really hard call. Whatever it is, you're, you're with us, Lord, and we're grateful for it. Thank you for the continued call to repent and believe. We give you praise and thanks in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.